This week's podcast is sponsored by our course, Zero to Freedom Through Cashflowing Rentals. Zero to Freedom Through Cashflowing Rentals is a 10-week online course focused on helping physicians and high-income earners go from knowing little to nothing about real estate investing to confidently buying the cashflowing rentals that will allow them to achieve financial freedom and work in medicine or their day jobs on their own terms. Our course is only open to registration twice a year, so be sure to get on the wait list at semiretiredmd.com and check out the course details on our course landing page. Welcome to the Doctors Building Wealth Podcast, the place where we talk about the strategies, habits, and mindset that separate wealthy docs from those who are not. We're your hosts, Leiti and Kenji. Alison Armstrong is a relationship expert, best-selling author of several books, including Keys to the Kingdom, which Kenji and I read out loud to each other and absolutely loved, and The Queen's Code. She's also a sought-after speaker. In fact, we first saw and were absolutely captivated by Allison when she spoke at Tony Robbins' relationship trip in October of 2019. We invited Allison to be on our podcast because she has such incredibly useful insights for how men and women can understand each other and effectively communicate. We know a lot of our students are building their real estate businesses with their significant others, and we know that all of you will be absolutely blown away from hearing the things Allison shares on this podcast. Your relationship with your significant other is the most valuable asset you have in your life. No matter how much money you make in your business, it won't matter if you aren't happy at home. That's why Kenji and I work on our relationship constantly. I know this podcast will help some of you start to see the places you can improve your relationship with your significant other as well. I know it gave us a lot of ideas. With that, let's jump into our interview with Allison Armstrong. Allison, we are so grateful to have you here. And we invited you because we saw you in Tony Robbins' relationship, and you are an expert in men and women and relationships. And we thought you had so much to teach us and our students <laughs> about how to lead a successful relationship while running a company. Because a lot of our students are starting real estate companies and businesses, and they're working together as a couple. And I know there are a lot of times that there's tension or there's things to work out. And so that's why we asked you to be here. For those of you who don't know you, would you mind giving us a little background about you? Wow, a little background. <laughs> Almost 40 years of being a leader in transformation. I started young and started studying men in 1991. Thought it would take a few months to learn everything that was worth knowing about them because of course they're shallow and <laughs> stupid and questioned whether they had souls and everybody knew they had no feelings so what could be interesting that was 1991 and i've never stopped because men are fascinating and then what did men most want to talk about as i studied them women and what mm -hmm. they said about women was unrecognizable to me. I didn't know who they were talking about. I hadn't met those people. And then I realized they were talking about what to them they described as femininity and the magic, right? The unicorn in the forest that a woman can be. And I certainly had not recognized that, seen it, looked for it. I didn't know how to be it. And it wasn't long into it that I realized other people needed to know what I was learning, what I was seeing, what I was hearing. And, and I became very protective of men and 
had wanted to know how I was bringing out the worst in them. And once I discovered that, I couldn't stand to watch other women bring out the worst in them. It just it hurt. It just hurt, especially because they bring out the worst in him and blame him for it. Like, you really are the dog that I am kicking. <laughs> and uh, so I've just been on a mission for a very long time. And I've been an activist since I was in my 20s. And it converged that how would we ever end hunger? How do we ever end homelessness, poverty, racism, slavery, all the stuff that goes on in the world? How are we going to end it if we're too busy protecting ourselves from each other? If we're too busy taking each other out, taking each other down, how are we ever going to have any energy to do any of the big things? And uh, the way I put it once is we're having heroes dust the piano when they could be ending world hunger, for example. They could solve, they're compulsive problem solvers. Let's give them some big problems instead of how to get out of this conversation with their testicles. <laughs> so... That's what's kept me at it for all these years. (laughs) So for those of you who don't know much about, you've actually written several books. And some of the really popular ones are Queen's Code and The Keys to the Kingdom. And those are really helping women understand men and helping men understand women. Mm -hmm. So could you tell our listeners a little bit about those books and how they came to be? Oh, my gosh. Well, they're published out of order. It's kind of science strange. So The Queen's Code was conceived of first. But I didn't know how to write it. And it took me 15 years to figure out how to write it. And in the meanwhile, I, I wrote Keys to the Kingdom and they're both fiction. And Keys to the Kingdom has four characters in it and the Queen's Code has eight and it's the original four. And what's odd about it is I took so long to figure out how to write it. And then when it was time to write it, both books I didn't write. Both books, when I sat down to write, a screen opened up over my head to write, and a movie started running. And I started typing as fast as I could. And Keys of the Kingdom took, I think, eight days to write. Wow. I just would sit down every morning, and the movie would start. That was the first day. And then the next day, I was edited the scramble of typing from the day before. And by the time I was done making sense of it, the movie would start up again and keep going. And it did that day after day. And the Queen's Code, which is twice as long, took about three weeks for the same process. And I knew I had to write a book of fiction because the topic is so painful. The topic is so close to home. Our identity just gets stirred up and afraid to conceive of things that would literally make us wrong for everything we've thought our whole lives about who men are and about who women are. And in fiction, you have the option, right? Where the shoe fits, wear it. And as because you've read the Red Keys of the Kingdom and started the Queen's Code, I believe as human beings, we're all in our own blind spot. We can't see ourselves. And so that's why the book is written, like the beginning of each section starts in capitals with the name of the person whose point of view you're watching everything from, you're experiencing everything from, you're inside their head, their thoughts, what they're observing about the other people. And when you keep changing points of view between eight different people and you find out these things that, like these women have no idea how beautiful they 
no clue. Just like real women. <laughs> no idea how beautiful they are, how magical they are, how enchanting they are, how much they contribute just by being themselves. No idea. And the men, to find out what they think about, what they care about, what they're working on, right? Like in case the kingdom, Mike, who's in, in the tunnel, right? Which Tony mm -hmm. teaches about. He likes to teach the stages of development and likes it so much he wouldn't let me teach my own material. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, Tony really enjoys doing that. Yeah, but I'm going to be there. No, but he really <laughs> likes teaching it. How about I teach it? I'm the one who researched it. No, Tony really likes to teach it. Very interesting conversation. But anyhow, so yeah, so Mike's in the tunnel and you get to find out what it's like to be at a stage of life where suddenly everything is in question, right? And how that just throws off relationships, marriages, and you can't even commit to anything because you have to commit with yourself and you don't even know who yourself is. So that, that's how they got written. They wrote themselves, and the third one's been writing itself. The sequel to the Queen's Code is in writing itself. And it's like all the characters live in another dimension. I can just check in and go, so what are you guys up to? And they show me. They like It's like getting little trailers, little... <laughs> I get little movie trailers from another dimension, and it's rocked my world. I'm going to write it next year, but I'm nervous about it. Oh, yeah. we're so excited. This is going to be really mm -hmm. great to read. Can you explain to the listeners who are listening to that tunnel part and not understanding that? Because I think that was one of the greatest insights I got from the Keys to the Kingdom was all the different stages of a man because Kenji's gone through that kind of night period, right? Where he was working all the time. And I remember okay. thinking like, oh, Prince. And I remember thinking like, I'm not that important. Like work is more important. And so it was like a complete mirror. So yes, please explain it to the listeners because they must know this. Well, I'll give a very short version, which is difficult for me, but it's in Keys of the Kingdom and in fiction and then in nonfiction in the amazing development of men. And which we have a first and second edition that people can get an audible or whatnot. But basically, it's the idea that it's, it's not just children that develop. We develop our lives. And I was trying to figure out what made men so different one from the other, like qualitatively so different. And that's how my friend Barbara and I articulated the stages of development. And just so you know, we found out to the degree that a woman is pursuing a career, she'll go through similar stages. And I didn't know it at the time. I didn't know I was in the tunnel until I popped out and started talking the kings do. And so I haven't gotten to study it much, but we've learned some really interesting things about the tunnel. So if you think of it just very simply, a page, if you think of King Arthur's court, a page is a knight wannabe. So they admire the big boys, right? They want to be a big boy and they admire the big boys. And they're always trying to be strong and daring, right? They'll jump off the highest stair. I remember my son doing this at three years old. Look, mom, ah! right? Like how far up could he keep jumping, leaping the whole way? A page is, is a baby knight, right? And knights are all about testing themselves and developing skills and then testing their level of skill against somebody else and seeing where the gap is and then thinking about what would it take to close the gap and is it worth it or not, right? So they have this worth it calculation going on that's really about 
it happens for the rest of our lives, but the centerpiece of that worth it is what will I learn? How will I grow? How will I be stronger? What skills will I develop? Right. And I mean, I get so sad, especially when moms denigrate their sons for playing video games because they have no idea what's happening. They have no idea the self-testing, the development. They have no idea what's happening to their brains and how it's changed, how they function in life. And if I'd known back then what I know now, it's okay, how do you want to develop sons? Nature and video games. <laughs> Those are the two things you need, nature and video games. They, have to, they can challenge themselves and challenge themselves and challenge themselves. Yeah, no, I think of this with our son. We have a two and a half year old and I uh, think about your book and you say, don't try to make boys into girls, like just let them be, let them wrestle. And then you also say like, all they want to do is help people. So I give him little chores to help me. And then I celebrate his success, right? Because I remember reading that in the book. Yeah, my son has just become a real estate investor, by the way, and he'll be 32 next week. And Everything I learned about men has resulted in just so close, right? In this way that I never thought would be possible to have a son. It's just stunning. And all three of my kids are amazing. And all I, what I say about it is I didn't squish them too much. That's what I can claim. I didn't squish them too much. And basically every human instinct tells you to squish your children. Sit on them. <laughs> Sit on them, squish them, put them in a box, bind them up, control them every chance you can. And I did the opposite, and it turned out pretty well. Okay, so knights are testing themselves, conquest and testing and measuring themselves. And one of the things that we do to them that's sad is we want to dictate the growth. We want to dictate the development. We want to tell them what's worth doing instead of honoring what they think is worth doing. And that's the beginning of not being close to our sons. And then princes, so night starts at puberty and it lasts until mid to late 20s, depending on the man. And then a shift is happening where the conquest and the testing isn't enough anymore. There's a desire to build. There's a desire to build something, to have something, to have something to show for it, to have a part of the world that's yours. And and that's in phases, what we call early, middle, and late prince. So early princes are figuring out where they're going to build. Middle princes have figured it out, and they're just climbing the mountain for all they're worth. And it's very, very difficult time for them because they're constantly pulled by what they could be doing, should be doing, have to do, need to do, and I'm almost, and I won't get there if I don't do it. And then if they have a woman in their life, the woman saying, me, 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 what about me? And as Mike talks, Bert talks about in Keys of the Kingdom, the choice is between your wife being upset with you and being upset with yourself. Upset with yourself is so much worse than your wife being upset with you. So you do what you need to do, and then she's really ticked off, and it's awful, and might end the marriage. But if you did what you needed to do for her to not be upset, you would have betrayed yourself. And just nodding, yep. nodding. Uh huh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I am. Yep. I've yep. been through that. So, and yep. I would imagine a lot of the students in our course, they finish residency, they're doctors, mm -hmm. and they've achieved that. Now they're wanting to build, like you said, they're princes mm -hmm. and they're putting their head down. They're trying to encourage their wives to be real estate professionals. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm sure that, like you said, they're saying, me, 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 mm -hmm. maybe. Yes, especially uh, if not, they supported not, them through 
med school and yes. internships and residencies and all that. It's wait, it's payback time. Payback. Right. You right. Owe me. Exactly. Yeah. That's right. I've seen That's it. Right. I witnessed it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say though, if women are going through the same thing and the woman is a physician, right. they're in the same situation. Right. Yes. Right. That's true too. Yeah. 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 So princes are building like crazy. And then late princes are like, wow, there's more to life than building. And then they get hit with the tunnel and question everything they did and why did they do it? And probably the most important thing about men in the tunnel is for all of these, what we call the centerpiece of the worth it calculation. And I didn't know this when I wrote Keys of the Kingdom, but I've never stopped researching. And that's that the centerpiece changes, right? So what can I conquer? How can I test myself? How can I develop myself is the centerpiece. And then it shifts and fun, fun, fun. And then it shifts to build, build, build. And then it shifts to provide, provide, provide. And in between what happens is where it used to be worth it to accommodate other people, to adapt or contort to please other people, it's not worth it anymore. So in the tunnel under examination is all the ways they've betrayed themselves over the years and coming to the determination of this is who I am and this is what I have to be true to. And then they come out the other side and it's just not worth it to please people and accommodate them anymore. And that can be terrifying seeing that happening. I have a dear friend in the tunnel right now and he's so confronted by Ever since he was a small boy, he's been amazing at pleasing people. He can always tell what they want and give it to them. And he doesn't want to do it anymore. He just can't do it anymore. And oh, he's in such a pickle. So it takes courage to come out of the tunnel. And then kings are about providing. And they need to be admired. And they need to be appreciated. And if someone's not willing to do that, which often is the case of many women who take on a mother kind of role towards their husbands. They're like, look, I made you. Why should I admire you? <laughs> you wouldn't be who you are without my support, without what I've done. And you want me to think you're hot stuff? Well, yeah, <laughs> I do. I don't just want you to. I need you to. And we're often not willing to do that. We're not willing to have a gap between us and another person that we're close to. We don't, that paradox of intimacy and distance, which is what keeps so much passion and magic and wonder alive. We, we want to, we want to kill it. We just want closeness and we lose intimacy and distance in our pursuit of that closeness and ownership, if you will. And I know you, that familiarity, like we crave this sense of familiarity and control instead of like Greg and I, three decades in, who are you? <laughs> we were still asking that question. So who are you? <laughs> where, where did you come from? <laughs> so much fun. How did you accomplish that? Because I imagine there are a lot of people out there who have been in relationships or marriages for 10 or 20 years, and they have that level of familiarity and comfort, but they're missing that passion. So how do you do that? Cultivating curiosity. They'll look out for arrogance. I know you. That's so arrogant. Especially like your students, and you're engaged in personal growth, right? And can I swear? Yes. <laughs> okay. So one of my favorite people. His name's 
Brian Regnier. <laughs> Once he said, anyone seriously engaged in personal growth every six months thinks that six months ago, an asshole was running their life. <laughs> and if you're engaged in personal growth, you're not the same person. Maybe day to day, week to week, to month to month, certainly not year to year. Yep. So then why do we think the person we're sleeping with is the same person as last year and the year before? If we're not the same, how come they have to be the same, right? It's called objectification, right? We objectify them at a certain stage, age. It's like what our parents did forever relating to us like we're 13. We do that yep. with our mates. We fix them at a certain age and we get mad at them for not acting right anymore like because they're always supposed to act at that whichever age we fix them at, whether it's good or bad, right? Like we don't even see what a beautiful person they've become. We're still punishing them for what they did at whatever that age is. So you got to stay curious. You got to stay awake. You got to stay present. Be willing to be off balance, like authentically off balance instead of false certainty. And curious comes from the Greek word that means to care. And it, it's people feel loved right when you're curious about them and so who are you who are you today what did you love about that movie why have you watched la la land 17 times (laughs) 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 that was greg's thing la la land he was crazy about that movie learned everything about how that came about he's a musician and the day that he died he actually woke up our kind of adopted daughter, he woke her up at six o'clock in the morning, like in a dream, woke her up and said, go watch La La Land. And she did. She got up, she went and watched it. Her son watched it with it. And four hours later, he died. Crazy stuff. But anyhow, you got to, this is going to be an answer to your question, Kenji, but you got to pinch yourself. To not take someone for granted, to not see them as fixed. But it's ridiculous to see them as fixed. Right. And it's also about not judging them, right? Not saying you should have been the way you were a year ago or two years ago. It's just accepting that they will change. And that's a beautiful thing because it keeps things new, right? Variety. It's not certainty, it's variety. Yeah. I'm nervous about the word accepting because. People don't know the difference between what ought to be accepted and interacted with as real and valid and worth protecting and supporting versus what should not be put up with. Um, So I I can't go where you are going. Acceptance is extremely important, but not as a rule, not as a principle, also a we. So a question that maybe it will demonstrate my male perspective here. Okay, so for a lot of the students in our class, yeah. let's say that the if it's if he's a physician, mm-hmm. they're married and the wife is a stay-at-home mom and they want to get them interested in real estate so they can claim the status called real estate professional status. Yeah. And so a lot of the kind of thought that comes to mind or or questions that we get is from the men is like how do I get my wife to be interested in real estate? How do I get her to 
want to be a real estate professional. But I would say that there's hurt behind that because I think that they, some of them see us as like a power couple going and doing this together and they want their spouse to be along for the journey, right? It's not only wanting that status, but I think they want to be a partnership and they have this idea of how it is to be a partnership. And that's also what they're bringing into it. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> How long an answer do you want to this question? We knew this one was going to be over an hour. Well, this, this, well, this is a, yeah, I thought this would maybe, it's a question that a lot of people have, and I one. think it's one that it's a uncovers one. a lot of issues. Yeah. Well, but you said the P word, okay? So my company's name is PAX, right? It stands for Partnership, Adoration, and Ecstasy. And partnership is my passion. and it's, to me, it's the whole point of what I've done for the last 30 years. And it's, it's, partnership is so much bigger than most people who use the word think it is. Like I've interacted with people who they say they want a partner. And what they really mean is that they want someone who support them unconditionally while they give them as little as they possibly can. That's a good partner. No, right? Or they think partner, many women will think this, that partner means sameness. Partner means equal say, equal accountability, equal, even that we do the same things. We pull our weight equally, right? No, it doesn't mean that. I'm a dictionary girl, right? Partners on the same side or team. Partners, people engaged in some enterprising, sharing its profits and risks. So if you want to partner, the thing you have to do is define the game that you're on the same team for or define the enterprise that you're sharing the profits and risks. With. What is this enterprise? And one of the things that happens is that someone, this always happens actually, in any relationship in any couple, whether they are a partnership or not, which very few are, there's always someone who can see farther than the other, right? Their horizon is further out and they even have more detail between here and there. And the tendency for the person who can see farther and in more detail is to try to drag the other person into their vision. And they often were frustrated. I don't understand why you can't see this. It's so obvious. And the reality is you can't plan. You can't plan, plot, create beyond the person with the shortest vision. You can't drag people into the future. So if you want someone to partner with you and you're the person that sees farther, you got to find out, oh, so what can you see? And... You have to interact with, it's funny, the worth it calculation came up earlier. You have to interact with the worth it calculation. So whether the honey is a male or a female, it's honey, what would make this worth it to you? What would make this something you'd be interested in doing? Well, if we bought rental properties and I got to decorate them, <laughs> I got to remodel them, I got to go to manage them, I got to decide who got to live there. I got whatever the answer is, if we got to flip, but you got to find out what would make it worth it to them, what would make it interesting to them. And I call it the beauty of the enterprise. 
So there's the beauty of the enterprise, which is like something that's so cool, right? And then there's the passion for the enterprise, meaning how does the beauty of the enterprise intersect with that person's purpose, that person's mission, that person's calling, that person's drive? They've got to intersect. If it's going to be sustainable, if it's going to be worth doing, it's got to intersect. And too often, we don't take the time to create that. But that's what's going to be worth doing. That's what's going to feed it. That's what there is to feed, to keep, to stay true, to keep checking in with. Is this still what we want to do? Is this still what we want to do? You know, or, oh, no, honey, I was wrong. This is what we should do, right? <laughs> this would be even better. And if somebody says, no, we already have a plan. We already have a plan. We're implementing a plan. we got to stick to the plan. How are you ever going to make any money if you don't <laughs> stick to the plan? Well, then you stick to the plan because I ain't doing it. You've got to keep checking in. You've got, if you're really going to have a partnership app, okay, what has it been worth doing for you? What has it been worth doing for me? And then just, uh, yeah, 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 it's huge. There are 14 elements of partnership, okay? That's why when I said, oh boy, oh boy, do you know how many days I have on this material? <laughs> but for people starting out, you have to differentiate between accountability and implementation and helping yeah so accountability really count on ability meaning you can hold me to account for what right so in this enterprise instead of thinking we should have equal accountability maybe not maybe not joan and i didn't when we started our company we had different accountabilities and we didn't have equal accountabilities and we made sure that we were appreciated, that we were appreciated with money, that we were worth, that we were paid for what we were accountable for, separate from being the owners that would share the profits, right? So the difference between the work and the accountability and the profits, right? So one of the things that causes so much conflict is the person who has a vision will want to hold the other person accountable for implementing their vision. And implementation and accountability, they don't go together. And Kendra, you wouldn't know about this because women do this to men all the time. We tell you what we want from you, and then we tell you how to do it. <laughs> and so, yes, yes it, so we, it's the cleaner so check, right? Want, I tell him check, to write yeah. the Yes, so the we check. want you yeah. to implement according to our plan. But you can't own my plan. You can only own your plan, right? So <laughs> this is the big trick is to, to align on, okay, so what is the result that we want to produce? Who's going to be accountable for producing that result? Okay, you're going to be accountable for producing that result. All right, so is there anything that you need from me to formulate your plan for how you are going to produce that result? No, you got all the information you need? Okay, so when you've developed your plan, Tell me if there's a part for me in it. What's my part of your plan to fulfill? If you're going to be the one accountable, then it's your plan that's going to get implemented. No one can be accountable for implementing somebody else's plan. That's called delegating, and people do a crappy job of it. And so paying a lot of attention to the what, and then whoever is the one that's going to be doing it is the one that gets to decide the how. because. Kendi, and I know you know this because men are so much more clear about this. No one knows your strengths the way you do. 
No one knows how much time you're willing to spend. No one knows your energy levels. Nobody knows what time of day you're going to do that. That you're envisioning, oh, I'll do that between midnight and 2 a.m. <laughs> while I'm nursing the baby. Right? Like it's like, like we can only do that for ourselves. And so the fights that people have when they attempt to work together are usually because someone is trying to boss the other person around on how to do the what that needs to be done. Or worse than that, they don't even agree on the what. <laughs> I had a couple get in a huge fight. They were flipping a house and she was the decorator and she wanted a rose-colored toilet. <laughs> and he vetoed the pink toilet, as he called it, <laughs> because it was 10 more dollars. But she was accountable for the decorating that would sell the houses, right? And a huge fight about that. Ay, ay, ay. So with accountability goes veto power. If you can't protect your plan, you can't fulfill your plan. You can't implement your plan. So there's that entrusting of accountability and there's the entrusting of the authority to fulfill the accountability. Okay, so this is our budget and you've got leeway and just if it's going to be X dollars or X percentage over what we've aligned on, then let's talk about it again. Right? So there's all these ways that you have to build in huddles, right? Like a football team. Like when are we going to come back together and say, how's this game going? What's the play we got to do now? We thought we were supposed to be on the 30-yard line, and we're back on our own 30-yard <laughs> yeah. line. So time out. Let's reconvene. And most importantly, what if nobody's wrong? You must talk to your couples about this. You've got to allow for a learning curve, right? You've got to allow for making mistakes. You've got to allow for blowing. Mm -hmm. right? Isn't that why you want to be a real estate and professional in the first place? So that you can write off the losses. You can shelter. <laughs> Okay. Oh, yeah, that's a reason. Right? Yeah, exactly. So, you, so if you have the losses and then the losses have a purpose, you're not supposed to be in the business for losses. But man, I got a lot of tax loss carriers. I'm rich in tax loss <laughs> carriers, but I'm mission driven. Are you interested in learning more about owning your own portfolio, cash flowing rentals? If so, we invite you to take our free mini course, the Crash Course in Cash Flowing Rentals. When you take our mini course, you'll learn the strategies we use to build our portfolio. You'll also get to see several of our students featured who have successfully built their own portfolios as well. To take our crash course, link to semiretiredmd.com forward slash mini course, M-I-N-I dash C-O-U-R-S-E, or visit our website at semiretiredmd.com and link to the crash course on cash flowing rentals there. You may also want to join a waitlist for our introductory course, Zero to Freedom Through Cashflowing Rentals, while you're at our website too. We'll see you there. This episode is brought to you by Dan Peck of Caliber Home Loans. If you're an experienced investor, you'll know just how important it is to have a lender who knows how to work with investors. Now, we've been working with Dan and his team for over five years now, and he's our go-to whenever we need a residential loan for our investment properties. Now, if you're new to investing, you might not know this, but your lender can sometimes be the difference between getting a great deal or completely missing out on it because your lender couldn't close a deal. Now, I did want to point out that Dan can help you not only with your investment properties, 
but also if you're looking to buy a primary residence or vacation home. So the next time you're looking for a residential lender, be sure to email Dan at semiretiredmd at caliberhomeloans.com to get a free consultation. Now back to the show. So can I make sure I'm understanding this and I'm not misspeaking, but I I just want to understand. So if, for example, you're starting a real estate Mm -hmm. business and it sounds like one way to really make this work is to have something you both agree you want to get done and then to delegate or allow one person to take that leadership in that and to trust them to be able to do that and trust that they'll come to you if they need help, need you to do stuff for them. But you basically are allowing them just to take ownership of it and not always like getting involved and telling them what to do and just trusting that they can do it. Is that accurate or where am I off? You're doing well. You just have to watch out for the Okay. Okay. So what we've seen, and I have to talk to you about the trust part. So what we've seen is okay. yes. that I've interacted with couples and say, okay, who's accountable for this? And they look at each other and they say, we both are. Oh, then nobody is. Right. And mm. the it, that's when the it is just too big. The it's got to be divided up. Well, I'm accountable for this part of it. And I'm accountable for this part of it. So like, for example, in the area of finances, there's at least 12 different things that somebody could be accountable for, right? Including who's going to deposit the checks, who's going to write the checks, who's going to keep the P&L, who's going to, et cetera, et cetera. Who's going to do the budget? Who's going to review the actuals? Who's gonna, there's so many different things. And you could say someone's accountable for all the money part. But what if they're not good at it? I suck at going to the bank in the post office. <laughs> you think it was a Herculean task to go to the bank in the post office? It's three and a half miles from my house, right? It's just right down the street from my house. There's no traffic. Well, maybe a tractor or a hay baler or 500 sheep, but, but it's just right there. But you would think it was impossible. So what did Greg do? He deposited the checks. <laughs> he was accountable. He was accountable for writing the checks. I paid all the electronic bills. I was a master of doing things like that. So, yeah. But it, we just have to watch that we lump things together as if somebody's supposed to be good at all of that or enjoy doing all of that instead of, can I have this piece? And so here's, a, here's another thing. How you relate to what you're accountable for determines how you do it. So if you are merely willing to be accountable for it, okay, that's always going to be under certain circumstances for a certain amount of time, right? Merely willing. If you're requesting to be accountable for it, I want that. And you might be requesting it because you enjoy doing it, or you might be requesting it because you don't trust the other person to do it. Right? That's fine. Your request. Pick me. That's mine. Or in the best, the very best, and this is what you want to look for, if you're trying to have something be sustainable, is what would be a privilege to be accountable? What would turn, like, please, please, please let me do that. I, I want to contribute that to our enterprise, to our partnership. That would be a privilege. Now, the mistake with privilege is people think if people are privileged, they don't need to be appreciated. And that's not true. Everyone needs to be appreciated. But, so the it, so you have to watch the it thing. Okay, does that make sense, Lady? The, Got to watch mm-hmm. the it. Absolutely. And make it small enough so someone can say, yes, I've got this. You can let go. I will take care of this baby. And then the trust thing 
People cannot be trusted to ask for what they need. The instincts to not ask and not tell. Don't tell anybody what you need. Don't ask for what you need. Don't ask what other people need. The instincts are so strong. They're so compelling to not reveal that kind of information. So you have to build trustworthiness that someone becomes trustworthy to speak up when they're in over their head and they'll become trustworthy in speaking up if the person they're speaking up to is trustworthy for taking care of them. What? You did what? That person. The end. The end. Now every problem is going to be hidden. And that was cause. And you can make the other person wrong for they should have spoken up. But you act like that. Doesn't take very many times of reacting like that. That the other person isn't going to speak up. Right? So being able to come to each other and go, I think I made a mistake or I blew it or I forgot or I lost or I, okay, all right, let's solve this together. Let's solve this together. Instead of, what, you idiot? If you want to be in business together, criticism, you got to bury it in the backyard. You got to just lose it. Criticism. <laughs> criticism is for cowards. Don't be cowardly. You have to be courageous if you're going to. You have to expose yourself. You have to be able to say what you need without hiding behind. You should have already known this. I shouldn't have to tell you. Doesn't go very far, right? So, yeah. So you have to trust them. Trust isn't blanket. Trust is built. Trust is earned. What can you trust them for? It's excellent information to share with each other. This is what I think I can trust you for. This is what I count on you for. This is what you've shown me I can count on you for. Count on ability, accountability, count on ability. You can hold me to account. It doesn't mean I'm perfect at it. But if you say, hey, you were supposed to do that, I'll say, you're right. I, I was supposed to do that. Instead of, what? Well, you didn't do everything you're supposed to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. Totally. No, no, I, it's, it's a great reminder about criticism for sure. Uh, so that's a place it's pretty easy for me to go to so yeah it's a good reminder but i wanted to get back to your yes, it yes. right because i find this whole conversation so funny because we're talking about everything in the context of this like real estate professional status which is this really quirky little yeah. thing right but i wanted to talk about it because you said you got to break down it into components and maybe one person is good at some things and the other person's good at the other but i wanted to say about real estate professional status the the rub with real estate professional is that the person claiming real estate professional status has to do all the hours. They have to do all the work. And so that's the challenge. So if you have somebody who is the physician, and so it could be the husband or the wife, and then the spouse is the stay-at-home, again, it could be a husband or wife, and that spouse has to be the one who does all of it, right? Because they have to accumulate all the hours in order to claim the status. Wow. So, right? Is it really all of it? Well, okay, I guess you're right. I mean, I guess at the end of the day, you could, one person can do some of it, but <laughs> but still, I, I'm just saying. Is going to be the person accountable that they hire help? Sort of, because again, it's like you have to do the hours properties. on your own, on your properties. You can't outsource it. Like you have to generate those hours. Like you have to say, okay, I spent 10 minutes writing this check, or I spent three hours visiting the property. Right. And you have to document that. So in that case, 
you got it 10 times down on the worth it calculation. Yes. Okay. What would, <laughs> With a vision. I what's guess you the gotta... upside? What would make it worth it to you? Yeah. What's your reward? What's the prize? Yeah, Huge. I think that's what one thing we do is yeah. we have people create their mutual goal for where they want to be in terms of cash flow in so many years as a couple in as part of our yeah. course. And so I think that does motivate a lot of people because they're creating a mutual goal and it helps them see where they're working towards. But it does really bring up when you're doing that exercise to be asking each other, is it worth it to you, this goal, right? Because for one person, it may not yeah. be, and they may not feel that they have the ability to speak up or to tell their truth, right? Because they don't necessarily trust that other person. So yeah, asking each other, is this worth it for you? Is this motivating enough for you? Do we need to change it? I think that's really, I'm, really key. I'm going to make all of them listen to this episode <laughs> when they're doing this exercise. No, seriously, this yeah. is key. Okay, so a little bit on the worth it calculation. There's the result, the outcome, the upside, the payoff is part of what makes something worth it. But you also have to factor in, you have to subtract the sacrifice. And stay-at-home moms and dads are not eating bonds. <laughs> even if the children are gone most of the day, it takes a lot to run a household, to create a home and a life and to keep all the structure on it, especially with the hours that most physicians work to keep everything going and have a chance to connect with your spouse when they are home. And then appreciation is a huge part of the worthy calculation. And every, we have a, a course called the appreciation equation. You can actually predict people's behavior by their experience of appreciation. And the problem is that we don't all have the same appreciation currencies. And so we mm -hmm. often pay someone appreciation in the currency we value. We're a currency that's just easy for us, right? And that may not be their currency. And so you think you're really appreciating them and they feel unappreciated. And your spouse's appreciation for you, their admiration for you, for what you're doing in this endeavor that you're talking about, counts for so much of what makes it worth it. And it's something, especially if you have a long-term goal, appreciation is something that can be given and shown every day. And make it worth it when the goal may not pay off for a very long time. So finding out what your partner's appreciation currencies are is critical. And may I just give you an example? Yeah, we even have an example too of ourselves <laughs> yeah. and how we learned that from I'm you. So glad. An example of not work, people for whom being appreciated, thanked publicly. So in front of other people, it's a dinner and a when I think my wife or my husband, Kendra's shaking his head. I've done a survey on it. So people who that rings their bell to be appreciated in front of all their friends or in front of the company or in front of whomever, they think everybody likes that. And I've done an informal survey. About one third of people like to be appreciated that way. That like the remainder of years. A third of people it does nothing for them. It's a zero. And a third of people would rather you did nothing because it's actually a negative and they're pissed and you were grandstanding as usual. Right? There's no reason to work on it. 
Yeah, no, we both hate that. Like we wouldn't, we'd never do that to each other because we both hate it so much. I don't like it either. You guys saw me. Good night. Bye. I'm out of here. I don't like that. Yeah, gross. Come meet me in the hall and give me a hug. Yeah. So there's that part. And then, I mean, I've asked so many men, how do you like to appreciate me? And I could talk about this for hours, but number one answer, touch my hand or touch my arm, look into my eyes, and say thank you. And that's all. (laughs) Don't gush, don't go on, right? But it, over and over, it's touch my hand, right? Or touch my arm. I mean, (laughs) the consistency of that. And, you know, it reminded me that besides a handshake, men are often not touched, right? And how much attention that and then there's interchange, right, of appreciation and support. How do you like to be appreciated? Well, I feel supported when. Well, how do you like to be supported? Well, I feel appreciated when. Women don't do that. Men interchange those words over and over again. And, but we got to find that out because that's what's going to make it worth it anyway. And have you ever heard me talk about a credit tour? I don't think so. <gasps> okay. Very briefly, credit tour. So when I was a stay-at-home mom, Greg would get home from work. And and I'd the weekend. I'd say, "Let me know when's a good time for a credit tour." And and then he'd come to me. Okay, I'm ready for the credit tour. And I'd take him around the house and the yard, and I would point out everything I had done. I said, "See this wall?" He said, "Yeah." What am I missing? The spot that's not there anymore. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. See this? You know. And I would take him around everything, see this, and then he would, ooh, and oh, oh, yes, I remember that. Oh, that's so pretty. Oh, you fixed that. Awesome. And that was my credit tour. And that's how I got appreciated for all the little picky stuff that I had done because it was driving me crazy. He mostly didn't even notice it. But I have his awareness, estrogen brain. But both people, like, can initiate a credit tour. I need a credit tour. Okay, let's get, let's make sure you get lots of credit for what you did. I paid these bills. <laughs> I visited the property. I logged this many hours as a real estate professional. I did this. Wow. Wow. Way to go. Good job. Anything about that? What was your favorite part? Listen, pay attention. Kudos. I like that. That's not That's just brilliant. for a woman. It's also for a uh, both sides. Oh, both sides. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Oh. Anybody can ask for a credit. Tour. I love it. Okay. Good. Yeah. And I remember you also mentioned when your husband would take out the trash, like what you would do for him. And I thought that was really like stuck in my mind. So maybe you could kind of explain. What, what do you do for him again? What did you do for him <laughs> when he took out the trash? It's a longer story, but he called himself the trash hero. And it started with me letting him know the effect on me of a full trash or a smelly trash, how awful it is. So he knew by taking out the trash, he was saving. Big deal to save, right? Hero language. And so he knew he was saving me. And then he did what most men do when you ask them to take out the trash. Sure, I'll take out the trash. Just tell me when it needs to be taken out. And women get really mad because we think it's obvious when it needs to be taken out. No, he's not stupid and it's not obvious to him. That's estrogen brain makes it obvious. So I would do what he asked. I would tell him when I wanted him to take the trash out. Honey, the trash stinks. I'll be right there. Right? Give me a minute. Let me set this up. Cool. Thank you. And then I just really appreciate it and that he did it. 
and Greg was always, he was always like, he was competing with himself. So he was always trying to outdo himself. So I so appreciated him taking out the trash when I asked him to. One day he decided to find out what would happen if he took out the trash when he didn't ask. It just looked like it was getting full. And he knew that I would feel overwhelmed. And if when I'm overwhelmed, I wouldn't go in the kitchen and cook. <laughs> so he just took it out preemptively. And oh, surprise, trash taking out. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. It was such a big deal to me because it was a huge deal to me. Now he's not disappointed. I mean, <laughs> well, right? Surprise trash taking out. I got a hundred points for the other. I got a thousand points for the surprise. That makes the surprise worth doing, right? How many points he got? And so, yeah, he just he became seriously. I have five trashes in the kitchen. Okay, <laughs> I added one tonight. <laughs> I only had four, but. Yeah, he would take them all. Appreciation. We just think people should do what they should do and not need any. And a long time ago, I decided to find out. I, I participated in an organization that you're supposed to just suck it up and not need appreciation. And when Joan and I started our company, we decided, well, what? let's find out what happens to people who get enough appreciation. You know what happens to people who are expected to live without it. What would happen if they weren't? What if they got more than enough appreciation? What might happen as an experiment? <laughs> what people do when they have enough and more than enough appreciation. Because, I mean, that's why we call it the appreciation equation. Because people are compelled to equalize. And if someone has more than enough appreciation, they have to pay it forward, right? They have to do something to make it equal. So they become creative. They become inventive. They give more. And if they can't find more to give, then they speak well about you. They like you, right, on Facebook. And if they can't do that, then they pay it forward to other people. They'll just they'll start walking around like, well, I just I live a blessed life, so let me share. They overflow. And it's a really good gig. It makes me think of a story where, well, it makes me think of our friends who, they're both physicians, and they're probably going to be listening to this. And he wanted her to become the real estate professional. And he was pushing it, pushing, pushing it. Then he just like stepped back and said, no, you don't have to do it. And then she got interested. She wasn't interested until that point. He stopped pushing. He said, okay, no, it's okay. You don't want to do that. That's okay. And then they're in Texas and she's actually, they bought a property here in Seattle and she's actually here and racking up those hours. She brought her, their two children up here. And I hope that he really appreciates her and her effort. I think that's going to be really important. I, I would think that he would, but it's so obvious to me now that I hear your story, how important that is. Uh, for him I think a lot that. of people in marriages for long periods of time, I mean, take each other for granted. Oh yeah, for but, sure. I mean, yeah. <laughs> but the other thing, Kenji, remember I was talking about the worth it calculation includes sacrifice. When someone is sacrificing themselves, it takes about 10 times more appreciation to make up for the sacrifice. So it's not just thank you for everything you're doing. It's also a thank you 10 times over for everything you're not doing. For the friends you're not seeing in Texas, for the life you're not having, for the time you're not, we're not getting together. Like you have to pay attention to the sacrifice as much, if not more than the other part. What can he do? What, how, what can he do to appreciate he should, he should her even her. more? 
Honey, how can I show you? The word show. How can I show you how much I appreciate everything you're doing and everything you're sacrificing for us? Really, tell me the truth. Sounds sound yes. so simple. <laughs> yes. And we have instincts <laughs> that tell us, don't do that. Do not ask that. Do it's not so reveal not, that you don't already so know. So not obvious. Yeah. So not yeah. obvious to me. Yeah. <laughs> but I appreciate that. Just Good ask. Time. So we've talked a lot about this situation with the real estate professional. Okay. Can we ask you what advice would you give to people who are working together and how do you separate that work time from not work time when you're in the home working? Because a lot of our students and us too, right? We're running a business during the day, but we're also not just business partners. How do you separate that successfully? I have to start with, I don't recommend. Maybe a stumpter. But I just, I don't recommend. Okay. <laughs> and when Greg worked for our company, I had the luxury, it doesn't sound like you guys have, excuse me, of him being managed by somebody else. <laughs> I was not his boss. And that was, that was smart. And then the other thing, accountabilities, what we were talking about, that separation helps, but also time, just working hours. We're, okay, so we're going to get this done by 10 a.m. on Saturday and then the rest of the weekend or the rest of Saturday or until dinner time, we're going to go play. You have to plan couple time. You have to have dates. You have to, I mean, understanding women, I talk about sex and don't expect sex drive to be enough or wanting to be enough. Do the opposite. Schedule a time that you're going to have sex, show up for it, and then do what you know to do to make the other person want to. <laughs> That's one of the most important things to do. If you're going to keep your life alive as a couple, you got to keep that alive. You got to keep that alive. That's the difference between romance and not romance. You have to attend to that. You got to pay attention to it. So I talk about it so much, like in celebrating partnership, it's the HCD, the Queen's Code, it's the fifth chapter, <laughs> the Understanding Women Online course. There are five sessions that have something to do with sex. Without it, it gets, just gets dry and stale and disconnected, no fuel, and almost everything becomes not working. Makes sense because otherwise you just have yeah. friends. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're friends. It's <laughs> nice. But that thing that makes you feel really alive, procreate life force energy, you can get that from building a business, but it's not business. So we always close our interviews with two questions and as our podcast is called Rich Doc Poor Doc. And so what is your definition of rich? I call it, and I used this term earlier, but I call it a pinch me life. And it's when the word exquisite applies. Exquisite means carefully chosen. So when you're carefully choosing how you're spending your time, how you're spending your energy, how you're spending your money, really, will, it, will this make me happy? Will this make me giggle? Will this fulfill a deep need? Will this have me feel like, um, oh, pitch me. I can't believe this is my life. That to me is rich. Poor is doing what you're supposed to do, having what you're supposed to want, competing, right? To look the way you're supposed to look and, drive what you're supposed to drive and feel 
<laughs> awesome. You were captivating, I must say. Yeah. <laughs> you really are. You wanted to see my face. <laughs> I did. I did. <laughs> so, what is one strategy, habit, or mindset that separates someone who is rich versus someone who is poor? I think it's the questions you're asking. What do I want? Want literally means lack. So what do I want? What do I want? Do I want to get up? What do I want to do next? What do I want to wear? What do I want to eat? What do I want to do? What do I want to say? What do I want? What do I want? What do I want? I think that makes people cool. What's my purpose? What am I doing here? Why? How can I impact life? What will I be happy to have done? Happy to have said? Happy to have eaten? So the practice of asking better questions. Instead of the instinctual questions. For example, when people are listening, what they think is listening, usually what's happening in their head is they're asking the question, what do I want to say? What do I want to say? What do I want to say? Or do I agree with that? Do I agree with that? Do I agree with that? Or what do I think about that? What do I think about that? What do I think about that? And they call that listening because supposedly their mouth isn't moving, but they are not learning anything about the other person because they're not actually paying attention. The other person will pay attention to that instead of that curiosity that we were talking about. What matters to you? What do you care about? And you can ask that question in your head. It's like a treasure hunt. Greg would come home from yet another motorcycle ride. <laughs> and I'd be listening. You get out of this ride. What do you think about this ride? There's what's special about this ride. And I would poke him like, wait, honey, let me see your own seat. Come on, show me your boot. How much leather did you rub off the edge of your boot? <laughs> He's a sports writer. He was fast. And, and he'd be like, oh, 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 oh. And you don't know everything about me. I'm like, yeah, I don't. So tell me some more. Yeah, I think it's the, the practice would be the questions that we're asking internally. Wow. So good. Awesome. Allison, we are, again, so grateful for you to be here and appreciate all the wisdom that you shared with all of us. Mm -hmm. And obviously, every time we listen to you, it takes so many applicable things to apply to our relationship. And I know our listeners will, too. So thank you. The Doctors Building Wealth podcast provides information only and does not provide any financial, legal, tax, medical, or psychological services or advice. You are responsible for your own financial, physical, mental, and emotional well-being, decisions, choices, actions, and results. You should contact a professional if you have any specific questions about your unique situation.